0: Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this whole series, making the most of it. Uh, You know, I guess this uh, week has reminded me of just how short uh, life can be. You know, whether you're 88 or 41, two people passed away in our church this week. In the light of eternity, it's all short, guys. It's all short, isn't it? In the light of eternity, it's all short. How can we make the most of our one and only life? And we, so we've looked at some phrases like, make hay while the sun shines. We've looked at make a beeline. We've looked at make lemonade last week. We've looked at make room. We've looked at all these different make expressions. And I'm gonna look at a, a little bit of an older one today. And it's this expression, make do and mend. And make do and mend comes from the 1940s, from the Second World War and during the whole rationing period, okay? When people were encouraged to take what they had and make it work, and make it last. I asked on social media, some of you, what does the phrase make, do, and mend mean? So you helped me with research for today. So these are some of the answers you said. Repurpose, repair, and reinvent. Accept what you have and value it. Opposite to the throwaway culture. Fix the old one. Wear my sister's hand-me-downs. It's really unfortunate if you're a lad, okay? But there <laughs> you go. But you know, when I, when I look at that phrase, to me, it has a stewardship vibe, doesn't it? It's like taking what we have and making the most of it. It also has an environmental vibe, because we have a planet that God has given us, and we're not making do and mend with our planet. We're destroying our planet. So it has an environmental tone to it. It also has a creativity vibe. It's about being creative with the things that we have. But ultimately, I think it also has a happiness vibe, because at the heart of this phrase, make do and mend, is the idea of contentment. And contentment is the one thing that is really elusive from our community right now and our culture right now. We don't know what contentment really is. Do you know what? We as a planet in the UK, we've never had so much. I'll come on to cost of living in a minute. We've never had so much and yet wanted so much more than right now. And with the cost of living increase coming and the fuel. And I want to I I speak into that a little bit. But I want to, to get us a little bit of perspective as well. Because you see, our world is built on the notion of discontentment. What society does is it tells you you are discontented and contentment is just one purchase away. I mean, if only you got this new car, your life would be fine. If you had that holiday, if you had that thing that you can wear or buy or put in your hair or eat or whatever, then you would be content. And so we get more and more stuff, but we're more and more discontented. It's built on the notion of discontentment. In fact, I want, I want to do a little bit of a survey in the room and online as well and see how many of us are really contented. So here's the question. Are you content with your job? But before you put your hand up, here's the definition of that, okay? You're happy with it. You look forward to going to work every day. You like the people you work with and you think you're paid what you're worth. Okay, all right, okay. Are you content? Number two, are you content with your family life? By that. I mean, you're content with your spouse. Mine's down here, so I'm looking at it nervously. Your children. If you're single, you're content, and if you're married, you don't want to be single again. Diff. Uh, okay. Okay. Good. 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 Number three. Are you content with your body? By that, you look in the mirror each morning and say, "Thank you, Lord." <laughs> or do you say, "Oh, my Lord." The abs have become flabs. (laughs) Content with your body? Okay, something really nervous. Are you content with your possessions? There's nothing you could buy, eat, wear, or own that would make you happier than you are right now. Here's the reality. We know deep down we have an issue with contentment, don't we? We have an issue with it. And so the question I want to ask, or the challenge I want to look at is this. How to live a contented life? Is it possible for us to live a contented life? And we're going to look at a guy that Jane looked at last week from exactly the same book in the Bible that Jane looked at. and She was a brilliant talk last week on how to make lemonade when life throws lemons at you. But this guy, Paul, that wrote this letter to a church at Philippi, he was in a prison cell chained to a Roman guard who were on three-hour shifts, 24-7. And from that prison cell, he wrote these amazing, amazing words. Look at this. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now he's writing that from a prison cell. And that word learned in the original language, it doesn't just mean experience, it means reflected experience. You see, we don't learn through experience. We learn through evaluated experience. We don't learn just because we've done things. The amount of people I've met as a pastor, and I'm like, really, you've done that again? And again, and then I look at myself and I've done that. Just because you're experienced doesn't mean you're learning. What Paul says is, I've reflected on what I've experienced and I've learned. And he says, I've learned how to be content. And that word content means satisfied. It means full. So here in a prison cell, I'm satisfied. I feel full in my life with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Because Paul was a rich guy and then he had nothing. And he said, contentment isn't about how much money you've got. It's about how you relate to the money that you've got. For I have learned the secret. And that word secret means I've been initiated into the mystery that other people don't have. And I look at this and I think, wow, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, whether plenty or little. And then he goes on to say this, for I can do everything through Christ Who gives me strength? And here's the key to the secret of contentment. You see, I can do everything through Christ. Doesn't mean I can jump off buildings and fly. I can do this. It means in the context of what he's talking about, which is being content, he's learned that he can do that through Christ. Because what Paul discovers in a prison cell is this, that what he has in Christ is greater than what he doesn't have in the world. Right? And in a prison cell with nothing, he says... But I've got everything because I've got Christ with me. I know God. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I look at this and I think, wow, I'm not sure I've learned the secret of being attacked. I think I am trying to learn, but I don't think I've learned it. Several years ago, I was um, in, a, in a conference in America and I'm staying in a home uh, in Texas. A uh, beautiful home, really, really beautiful home. And one of the other guys who was at the conference was a guy from Tanzania who I'd never met before. In fact, he'd never flown in an aeroplane before, same age as me, pastor of a church. Uh, And he described to me as we became friends how he he sat in this metal tube that he'd never been in before and for hours and hours flew and just didn't move, just like that. It was the first time he'd ever flown. And we're staying in this home and it was an incredible home where we each had a bathroom and where you, you went like that under the, under the tap and the water came out. You went like that over the bin and, and it was all high tech and it was beautiful. And he showed us photographs of where he lived in the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro in the hut that he lived in. And then in 2019, I got to go and be in his home with him. And he has taught me and he's teaching me so much about contentment. And we have so much and some people have so little and yet they're finding that they're living a life of contentment. It's challenging, isn't it? And I know, guys, as we come up to the cost of living increases and the fuel and all of that, and I know that's real. And I don't want to be trite about that at all. I know that's real for all of us. We need to get some perspective as well, don't we? We need to get some perspective. Now, here's what I want to suggest we need to do. There's something we need to make our enemy And something we need to make our friend if we're going to learn the secret of contentment. There's something we need to make our enemy and it's this. The enemy is comparison. We have to make comparison the enemy or we're never going to learn the secret of contentment. Just because they have doesn't mean that you must have. And I want to speak to those of you who aren't Christians as well. You might not believe in all the God thing. But I think a lot of what I want to say today makes sense. So whether you believe in the Jesus bit, this just makes sense. We believe that following God and following Jesus makes us better at life and makes life better. Okay. So whether you believe the Jesus bit, I think this makes sense. You see, Mark Twain, who was a writer and author, he said, comparison is the death of joy. Isn't it just? You know, and one of the biggest things from comparison is social media, isn't it? In fact, I've spoken to two people in the church to say, who have just come back from holiday. Oh, did you have a great holiday? Yeah, I had a great holiday. Well, well, you know, this happened and so-and-so was sick and this was sick. And we were 12 hours on, the, on a, in, a, in a car with three screaming little kids. And I said, I never saw any of that on social media. Isn't that amazing? It, like, it looked like you had the holiday of a lifetime. I never saw any of that. Never saw any of the kids throwing up. Never saw any of the illness. Never saw any of the... Just getting, we are going to take a photograph and you are going to smile. Perfect family, Wee! What you didn't see is that you will smile or I will kill you. Didn't see that. You see, because what we do with social media, we compare our real lives with other people's social media lives. It's like the behind the scenes reality with their on the screen real, And it just kills joy. And so we see our friend eating lobster while we tuck into our beans on toast. And we see our friend lying, you know, with, with the legs. Why do you always have to do the legs on the beach? It's like, their legs. We are seeing your legs on that beach in the Maldives while we're packing our bag for Blackpool. And comparison robs us of joy. There was a survey of a, a bunch of young people that spent some time on Facebook some years ago. And uh, they spent all this time and then they, 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 were, they, were, they were tracked what their number one emotion was. And the number one emotion, hands down, was envy. Envy. And what envy is, is envy is resenting God's goodness in others while ignoring God's goodness in your own life. But you know, we need to make, make it our enemy. We need to kill comparison because there's no win in comparison. There just isn't. And this isn't something I've learned. This is something I'm trying to learn. All right, Because even at my age in my 50s, things will come along and I'm like, Their house, their job, their church, their family, their car, their holiday, and it kills you. It just kills you on the inside. We need to make comparison our enemy, but then we need to make the friend contentment. We need to make the friend contentment. A lady called Pearl Buck said, many people lose the small joys in the hope of the big happiness. I love that. We lose the small joys in the hope of the big happiness. And I'm, I'm, I find this very hard because I'm a future thinker. Okay, I'm all about the future. But I'm trying to learn at the moment. I need to enjoy the moment I'm in because that's the moment I've got. Amen. And the big happiness and the big future thing. You know, that may come, it may not. But I tell you what, that's not where my hope is. My hope is in him who is with me right now and making the most of this Moment. So, how do we learn the secret of contempt? Let me just give you four ideas. Number one, learn to say enough is enough. <laughs> enough is enough. Jesus said these words in Luke 12. Uh, life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. Come on. We've got a lot of stuff, haven't we? Lot, we've got so much stuff. So, why don't we say enough is enough? I don't need all this stuff. In fact, why don't we be really radical? When people come round to your house, you hide all the stuff, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Because it looks a mess. And you tidy up when people come round, don't you? You should do. Some of you are not so sure. Why don't you leave it out? Why don't you leave it out? Maybe they'll take some of the stuff with them. You don't need it all anyway, right? Why don't you write content in the dust on the dining room table? Just, just, just be radical. Because what you're doing by doing that is you're saying, hey, you're more important than all the stuff. Life, relationships. God, faith, love, these are important. Albert Schweitzer said this, if there is something you own that you can't give away, you don't own it, it owns you. So what about we say, enough is enough, I don't need all the stuff. That rhymes. Why don't we say it together? Go on, come on, work with me. Enough is enough, I don't need all the stuff. In Hagley and Rowley, Clibbery, Bromsgrove Online, let's say it, and in the room, enough is enough. I don't need all the stuff. We really don't. Learn to say enough is enough. Number two, learn to manage money before money manages you. I want to talk about this, guys. Not because I'm after your money, all right? Because Jesus spoke about money and possessions more than He spoke about heaven, hell, or prayer. Because he knows that there's a connection between money and the affection of your heart. A guy called Andy Stanley put it this way when he said this, your money's direction shows your heart's affection. It really does. And you see what happens in our world and in our world around us is that we manage money, everybody manages money on these three key principles. Number one, we live first, so we pay our bills, we spend what we want to spend. Do you know what I mean? We we, we do what we want to do, all of that. Then if we've got any left over, we save. And there's anything left in the bottom of the barrel, we give it away. And yet Jesus came along and said, That stinks. As a way to manage money, that's awful. Let's flip it completely the opposite way around. Let's give first to God. Because everything we've got is a gift from God anyway. Then let's save, then let's live on the rest. This is radical living. But this is at the heart of what it means to learn the secret of contentment. And as we move into this season, guys, with cost of living and fuel energy and all of that, I want to challenge you. Live with your finances in a way that honours God. If you do, you'll learn the secret of contentment. Because if you live the other way around, let me live first, then I might save and I might give. You won't. And you'll end up always being gripped by the power that money and not having enough money can do for you. Learn to manage money before money manages you. Number three, learn to put first things first. We've talked about this a lot during this series. Different people that have been speaking have said put first things first. And a a psychologist called Neil Warren, he said this, this headlong pursuit of instantaneous happiness is designed to distract us from the emptiness we feel and to numb the pain of our relational failures and our gnawing sense of futility. This addiction requires daily, sometimes hourly, fixes. Guys, I don't want to pass over the pain of addiction, but we're all addicted to different things. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography. It can be fun. It can be possessions it can be working too hard it can be looking too good it can be wanting to appear better than you are it's a fix it's an addiction because there's something missing on the inside and I think Jesus will come and say hey why are you doing all that you're running around like a headless chicken trying to fix the thing that only I can fix which is on the inside learn to put first things first Your relationship with Jesus. I think the Bible's been saying this for centuries. Jesus says, What would it be if a man gained the whole world yet lost his soul? That's crazy. And I think identity, importance, and impact are so important, which is why when Paul introduces himself with the letters he writes, he often introduces himself in terms of his identity. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus, I'm an apostle, this is who I am. And one of the other New Testament writers, a guy called Jude, he only wrote one letter and it's one chapter long, just a few verses. And he was the brother of James, the leader of the first church and the half-brother of Jesus, the Saviour of the world. All right? all right. So Nathan, I can, I can use you because we're friends. If you're ever intimidated by your two siblings, all right, have a little bit of a word for Jude. All right? Because his brother is the leader of the church. His half-brother is the Saviour of the world. And yet, how does he introduce himself when he writes the letter? Look look at this in Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He doesn't say, Jude, do you know who my brothers are? He says, no, no, I'm a servant. And this is to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. He says, this is who I am. I'm called, I'm loved and I'm kept. That's the secret of contentment there, isn't it? I'm called, I have purpose. I'm loved. I matter. I'm kept. I'm secure. And when we learn to live in the reality of that, we can say, I don't need to compare myself with others. I don't need all that stuff other people have. I don't need to run around chasing all that other stuff because I'm called, I'm loved and I'm kept. And this is what really matters this is how we learn the secret of contentment we put our relationship with God first Paul in that prison says hey in Jesus I've got all I want and all I need because what I have in God is more important than what I don't have in the world I've learned to put first things first and then number four and I want to land on this one for you learn to trust God every single day you see there is moments in our life where we have to learn to trust him When a friend leaves us, when someone passes away suddenly, when we lose our job, when the cost of living thing comes, when the winter fuel thing, all those moments, many of us are gripped by what will happen in the future. And there will come a moment when we will have to trust God. But why don't we trust God in that moment when it comes, rather than anxiety when it doesn't? And Jesus in Matthew 6 says these incredible words. And I'm going to read it from the message translation because it says it slightly differently. And it's quite long, so just go with me. Just think about this as I say it. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, which, which is the passage that it comes out of, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things. He's kind of saying, hey, that's how people who don't know God live. You do know God. But you both know God and how He works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. Isn't that a word for our culture? Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Isn't that a word? Oh my goodness. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. There's some things in our life that we are very worried and concerned about. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I have to get a hold of my head because I know how my head can go out there, okay? And I have to say, Jesus, when the time comes, you'll give me what I need. I've got to get a hold of my thoughts. I've got to take my thoughts captive or they'll take me captive. And I've got to say, when the time comes, God, you will meet my need. You see, when you and I learn to make comparison our enemy and make contentment our friend, it allows us to get to a place where I think the Apostle Paul got to. when he's, Listen, when he's chained to a Roman soldier in a Roman prison, but he's free. He's free. And when you get to that point where you can be free, really free, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your circumstances, you're free to give away without fear. You're free to become downwardly mobile. You're free to stop comparing and competing. And if someone else wants to compete with you, do you know what I'd say? Let them win. Let them knock themselves out because you are free from all that rubbish. You're free to live one day at a time, making the most of your one and only life. And whether you live to 14, 41, 81, 108, it's all really short in light of eternity. So let's make the most of it. You know, many years ago, Katie, who we said goodbye to on Friday, she made that decision to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of her life. I remember the day when Ruth first came to church and when she made that commitment to make Jesus the leader and the Lord of her life. And, and I know that whatever happens in our life, whether you live a, a long, full life or whether it's tragically cut short, the decision that you make, the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? is the most important question you can ever answer in your life. And at the heart of it is to put your trust and faith and hope in Him. That whatever happens in the, the world, whatever you get or you don't get, actually you know that all is well with your soul. Because when that moment comes and it comes for all of us, we know where we are and I know where Katie is right now and I know where Ruth is right now. And the question is, do you know where you'll be when that moment comes for you as well? And so the Apostle Paul, as he's in prison, later in the same letter, he says, because you know what I mean? Like I want to live, but you know, if I'm absent from the body, then I'm at home with God. So I'm a winner. You know, if God lets me live, that's great. But if God takes me home, I'm a winner. Because then I'm with Him. That's the secret of contentment, knowing that your soul is right with Him. And I want to pray for you this morning. And I know that some of you are facing situations right now and it's when the time comes and you say, yeah, the time's come now. You know, I need something in my life, whether it's finance, whether it's provision of another kind, whatever it is. And I want to pray for you. But maybe there's somebody here or you're in one of our locations or you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So I want to invite all of us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for one minute. And if, and if this is you and you say, I've never given my life to God, I've never said yes to God, this could be your moment. And what you do, it's quite simple you just like in your own kind of way, in your heart, you're just going to say, I want to turn away from going my own way and I want to go God's way. I want to do what Katie did. I want to do what Ruth did. I want to do what many other people have done and I want to give my life to God. I acknowledge that I've messed up and I've been separated from You. I acknowledge that Jesus, You lived for me and You died for me and I want to know You. And if that's You this morning, I want to pray for You. So while our eyes are closed, if that's you, or maybe you're watching in one of our locations or online, I'd love you just to pop your hand up and say, that's me. And I'll pray for you. And then we'll move on. So is there anyone today and you want to say yes to following Jesus? You lift your hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you on the front. Anybody at the back? Thank you right at the back. In our locations as well, in Hagley, Rowley, Clibbury. If that's you, you respond right now. Online, you can let people know online. We'll send you a link there. God bless you guys. I want to invite all of us to stand if you're willing and able. Father, we thank you so much for these amazing people. Just made a decision to follow you. God, we pray you would come in their lives. Bless them, fill them with your peace and your hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Guys, if you made that commitment at the end of the service, go to the Connection Point. We'd love to give you a little book, okay? that we'd love to put in your hand. We are so excited with the decision that you made. But maybe there's some of us here in this room watching in our locations online and you're needing to trust God for something right now. Maybe provision. Maybe there's bills coming your way and you're just panicking. And I want to pray for you. Just invite you, if that's you. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's some other situation in your life and you need God to come through. You just open your hands in front of you like that, just as a sign of saying, God, I need you. And I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing this incredible song about the grace of God. This has been sung hundreds of years by millions of people who've all experienced the contentment that following Jesus brings, even when life sucks. So Father, we pray. Those of us with our hands stretched out now, and my hand certainly is. God, we pray that You would fill our hands with Your goodness when we need it. May we know, may we learn the secret of contentment, that what we have in You is greater than what we don't have in the world. But Lord, when we need what what we need, God, thank You that You are a giving God. You are a bountiful God. You are a good God. You can give us what we need when we need it. We receive it from You in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen.